0: Welcome to the Backroom VIP Lounge. I hope you don't mind the social distancing. It's temporary, as we've got Pfizer in the soda and Moderna in the Morello cherries. It'll be safe by my side sooner or later. Thank you for your kind words in the last episode. How nice it is to be back again. The reason I've jumped back into the VIP Lounge is because the topics I want to talk about today start with a game and then kind of Cascade like the loose mud of a countryside fault line mountain. And for the first time ever, please, with compliments from the bar, take your first shot and your first ever content warning. As today I'll be talking about, without any specific details thereof, collective trauma. The thing that stoked the fire of this little train of thought was my insatiable appetite for content, particularly in the form of podcasts and YouTube, I can't get enough of weighty essays, interpretations of game design, and narrative story devices in all mediums. A video essay is my cigarettes. They hit me just in the right spot when I need them, and I always need them. One such series graced me with its presence on my recommended page like a duke casually popping over for tea sporting a crate of Carver and dun perignan. It was a series by Future Sound Productions on the controversial Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. Now, I've no ch- had no chance of doing the full three hour, hour and a half long digital essays, any justice in a short summary. So instead, I'm just going to link you to them in the description and you can have a look once you've dutifully subscribed, followed, rated and tweeted about this podcast. The shock factor of the videos was that they elucidated two key things to me as a fan of that game. The first is not only did I have no idea what the flying fuck was really happening in the plot of MGS5, but the second that this was, to a huge extent, completely intentional in both design and execution. That all the feelings and all the anger surrounding the game being apparently cut short or not making sense... Was entirely in the plan and was a stupidly bold and painfully misunderstood choice made by the team. However, as I said, this was merely a kind of trapdoor for me. Like a terrible stand up comic in the 1800s, I was formlessly circling the board that would drop me into the dark basement that was Skullface's plan and ultimate goal. So, Skullface is the man in character sort of antagonist of mgs5 Uh, he is held responsible by the people closest to you for everything bad that's happened to you or your men and anything bad that happens to you in the run-up to trying to get your revenge on him in the game's old metaphor he is the diamond dog's white whale of revenge that is doomed to bring them nothing but suffering and death but his plan never really made any sense to me as a fan of the game not as a mega fan, obviously. If I was, I would have made future sound productions connections myself, potentially. But alas, I'm too fickle and too thick. And when I played the game, I knew I want. Uh, all I knew is that he wanted to eradicate the English language using parasites. And in doing so, would get nukes and control the world. That was about as elegant as a thought that formed in my mind at the time of playing. I, like the creators intended, was preoccupied with my own war economy. My need for more materials, better grades of soldiers, new R&D developments, and so on. Basically, the other subtle things that show you Snake and Miller's transformations into immoral mercenaries threatening the entire world in a never ending war. Also, coincidentally, a large part of the very first ever episode of this very show, Gaming Under the Influence, The Phantom Highball. But future sound productions help me see the bigger picture of Skullface's plan. The short story is that yes, he intends on creating a virus that would kill anyone who spoke English. That is to say, actively spoke it. As long as they never spoke English, they would be alright. But as English was the lingua franca of the world, and still is, it would leave billions of people with a huge collective sense. Of loss and trauma. Not to mention the amount of lives that would have inevitably and tragically, preventably been lost whilst the world figured out what was going on. Skullface represented a sort of dark part of war making and soldiering in this line of thought. The notion of collective trauma through warfare has actually been integral to our own ideas. Of class and station in the UK. It is often said that pre Great War the class system of the UK was powerfully ingrained and needed to be so in order to run a world colonising industrial capitalist powerhouse. But there had always been a domestic working class slavery to afford the profits needed to export that level of misery abroad like we do with teenagers now to Kavos every summer. But growing up, I heard stories at school and from family members that the first blow to this hierarchy was not from communist actions in the street, though this was a lot more common than the school-presented history classes like to admit, but instead from a collective trauma at the horrors of the first grand-scale mechanised war of nations and its genocidal sequel. The First World War in particular was a meat grinder, especially for a lot of the UK forces whose method of halting the advancing Kaiser forces was prolonged trench warfare. Brigadier generals and the like of the ruling aristocrats had been brought up on long outdated books on warfare, and many in charge just learned by throwing men into their deaths in the thousands. They didn't experience this trauma safe as they were, tucked away in the manor houses, miles from the nearest hint of fighting. This could explain the, until now, inexplicable existence of Reese mogg the sleepy Monopoly man-fossil that haunts Parliament like a bad smell after an all-you-can-eat Vindaloo night at the Lamb and Flag. His genes were hidden from the ravages of time, like a teenager's cum-sock under the desk. The other members of the Aristos were not so fortunate. Being an officer meant being in much closer proximity to the actual working-class men, talking to them, sharing food and necessities with them, and fighting and dying with them in what must have felt like an endless cycle. This was not only unusual in regular polite society, but also in the military. An officer, even to this day, isn't to get too close to their squads as it can slow their judgment calls as empathy and favoritism creeps in. However, on the front line, supplies were low, rats were plenty, and the shells fell indiscriminately. The sheer body horror and first-hand encounters of the mental collapse of other human beings was being endured by all the men present, and no class system could help nor protect them. No amount of upbringing prepared them, and no lack of upbringing worsened or steeled the working class from it either. The anecdotal story and given that you're hearing this in a bar setting, consider all of this from your mate at the pub level of factual, the anecdotal story that I recall was of two men that served for the duration of the war together. They had had the coincidental luck of being placed together once the fighting started. One was a simple groundskeeper staff, and the other the very lord of that same estate itself. They survived the duration of the war and became inseparable, Of all the implications implicit of both friendship deep and everlasting, trauma co-sufferers and perhaps a romantic relationship too. However, regardless, they survived the Great War and returned back to their previous life with the Lord taking his position at the head of the estate after his father's passing and the groundsman being head of the grounds as there were so few experienced working-class men left. However, returning to the systems of class and hierarchy couldn't exist anymore. The lord found himself in fits of severe melancholy and at the total disconnect with the older lords and ladies around him who either missed the war or at the very least missed the fighting. His only connection, the only other human he knew for certain what he was feeling was a man who was now tragically separated by class. A system that to him no longer meant anything. The truth of the horrors of war shattered the virtues of class, position, place, and rank. When men did what they could to survive, they held on to those virtues as a standard of hope. But through the other side, when returning home, the notion of glory and duty was just a painful reminder at best, or a trigger to survivors' guilt and pain. What's more, The Lord is said to have felt such awful guilt at his own life of plenty, while the man he had went through hell with was categorised as his underling. This was a sort of tale that was recounted as an explanation for why the British social class system broke down over the two world wars and the reforms that followed. Sadly, like the best stories, I believe only a fragment has any truth. I feel like it is a sand grain of truth, mulled over in the soft mouth of an oyster, until after many years of hindsight and wishful thinking, it has become a pearl of convenient storytelling. So Skullface's plan was to give the world a collective trauma, then replace what was stolen with, every, with any other group that wanted it, however big or small, and giving them the power of the nuke. The British veterans were robbed of their belief of what war was, and what it meant to be a man and in the class you were in. In its place they got the language of trauma and the desire to bring an end to suffering domestically. This became their power for a time. Well again, in this conveniently fictional story, Skullface also wanted to make sure the world had nukes, and that only he had the button to activate them. Boah. Evil schoolman villain. So while this is a little interesting in a sort of year six history lesson kind of way, the thing that got me thinking is the future generation of stories that will be told about our generation's global event. And fuck me, do I hope this is an event singular. Will there be a collective trauma over the huge and global loss of life due to COVID-19? Or, as Metal Gear Solid 2 predicted, will that trauma be prevented? And thus, a unity prevented by the diluting of information churned out by the media. COVID has incurred a huge loss of life in just the UK alone. Chances are that if you're listening to this from the UK, you know someone who died of COVID-related issues or just straight-up corona. Yet the death toll, the struggle, the pain and the fighting is all carefully reduced down like a rich source to be digested safely by an increasingly anxious and confused general public. It's an impossible task, of course. To have to be honest, the whole time would have started mass hysteria, even more so than it did. To lie outright would have cost more lives and worsened that worrying amount of hoaxes and those who reckon they saw a jpeg of a chinese fella in a lab coat is evidence that <laughs> it was cooked up to sell us 5g and give bill gates our dick girth info <laughs> oh but this is a battle in which civilians couldn't be in the front line it's a war fought with specialists and doctors one fought with information and supplies that came in slowly, like drip coffee, poured through a mountain of misinformation and general confusion. The global digital war of information, which has been raging for at least the last 20 years, has been interrupted by a sudden ambush of virology, and it took the information warrior into a strange new situation, of having to actually be a contributing force to the betterment of the population as a whole. In theory, of course. America barely flirts with reality, and to do so might lead them to conclusions that their vast and varied populations aren't ready for. But anyway, we've lost so many, so painfully, and over such a short amount of time. But this collective trauma... This pain that would unite the world was diluted, mixed, shaken and stirred by a media that was never designed or able to give us the truth. Our traumas are more public than ever before. Everyone in most countries can know about any other country's floods, earthquakes and genocides. They can know any of it, any time. And this overwhelming and never-ending pressure on their human empathy can force them to disconnect emotionally, like a climber cutting loose their trapped arm. Just occasionally, though, something might just flicker through the static of digital ennui, and we will get, if briefly, a short sharp shock of phantom pain.